Now turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And we begin with verse 1. It's exciting to study the Word of God. And I appreciate the love this church has for the Bible. God bless you. May we now pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being in the house of God tonight. And for the beautiful songs that have magnified the greatness of our King. We pray that Thou will open the Word of God to us, and may we understand it. And may the Holy Spirit reveal to us those beautiful spiritual truths that are unveiled in this Word. Have Thy way in the beautiful, precious name of Jesus. And we pray that some that are here who may not have ever been saved would come to Christ tonight, and others would determine to make this their church home and fellowship with us here. In Christ's name, amen. Now you remember that the outline of the book of Revelation is found in chapter 1, verse 19. <clears throat> Jesus said to John, Write the things which you have seen. That was the vision of the glorified Christ. Nobody had ever seen the glorified Christ and had given a picture of him. And so God, through Jesus, revealed this to John so John could tell us and we could recognize what the glorified Christ looks like. It's in chapter 1. And then he said, write the things which are. And if we understand this passage, this, this book of Revelation correctly, that refers to chapters 2 and 3, the church age, the things which are. The church age lasted, will last until Christ comes the second time in the air for his own. We're in the church age right now. We have been for 1989 years. But one day this church age will end. This is also called the age of grace, the age of the great postponement. Those who study the scripture confidently, carefully, in a scholarly way, believing the literal interpretation of the scripture, are persuaded that when Jesus came the first time, had the Jews received him, there would be no postponement. We would not be in the age we are in now. But because the Jews did not receive Christ, they rejected him. They crucified him. Now, let me hasten to say it was not only the Jews that crucified him, it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. But the Jews said, let his blood be on us and on our, our children. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And when the Jews rejected Jesus, then in the early church age, Jesus called those early disciples to again give that message to the Jews. And if you'll study the book of Acts carefully, the apostle Paul's first ministry was to the Jews. Over and over again, he said, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. But there came a day when the Jews absolutely rejected Jesus. And their doom was sealed. Their judgment was sealed. Now, please understand that I am not critical of the Jews. I love them. I don't like for people to make cracks against Jews or jokes against Jews. My Lord was a Jew by race. But it's a fact of Scripture 
that he came into his own, his own received him not. And so we came into the age of the great postponement. The early scriptures that relate to the birth of Christ all conclude that he will sit on the throne of his father David. That he will reign as king of kings. That he came as the rightful heir to the throne of David. The wise men came saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and come to worship him. But the Jews rejected the king. And so we are today in what is called the age of postponement, the great postponement of the kingdom. There's coming a day in the years ahead when the gospel will again go to the world through the Jews. When Christ comes again in the air for his own and the rapture takes place, that is, those who are saved, the Gentile bride of Christ, are caught up together to be with the Lord, then the gospel once again come to the world through the Jews. If we understand Revelation 7 and 8 and the other chapters in 11 and so on correctly, there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will go out sealed of the various tribes of Israel, and they'll go out to witness. And there'll be two Jewish witnesses similar to Elijah, similar to Enoch, similar to Moses. And they will witness, and they'll be killed, and their dead bodies will lie in the streets of Jerusalem, and all the world will see them, I believe, by television. Now, all that is future. That's in the time of the Great Tribulation. When we come to chapter 4 of Revelation, we come to the end of the church age. The church age... In the outline God gave John in chapter 1, verse 19, the church age is in chapters 2 and 3. The church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamos, the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Laodicea. Those seven churches were real churches in the day in which Jesus wrote, John wrote. Those seven churches were pictures or symbols of the seven ages of the church. First age, the age of Ephesus when the church was leaving its first love. The second, the church under severe persecution symbolized by Smyrna. The last age, the church of Laodicea. The church was neither hot nor cold, lukewarm, ho-hum, business as usual, twiddle-dee-dee, twiddle-dee-dum. And Jesus said, that makes me sick. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And many Bible students believe we're in that age today. The age of the Laodicean lukewarm church. But that age will end. If indeed we are in that age, we are very near the coming of Christ. If we understand Revelation correctly, we come to the end of chapter 3. Jesus is standing outside the door of his church knocking saying, I'd like to come in. If any man will open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And immediately we come to chapter 4. Now listen, some of you take notes, and I think it would be good if you take notes on the messages. Remember that from chapter 4 to chapter 22, the church is never mentioned again. You look in vain to find the church from chapters 4 to chapter 22, because now the church is with the Lord. And we're the bride of Christ. And we're in the Lord's heaven. And when anybody during the tribulation period gets saved, they pay for it with their life.
We'll see that as we go on studying. When we come to chapter 4, we see the very first thing that a saved person sees when he gets to heaven. The very first thing. You know, I like to think of going to heaven and meeting our loved ones. And there's going to be ample time for that. And I'll talk about that in a few moments, the Lord willing, if we have the time. But that's not the first thing we see in heaven. Dr. Lee symbolized that without even knowing it. Dear Dr. Robert G. Lee, who preached in our pulpit 16 years in the last years of his life. Just before he went to heaven, he'd had a heart attack. He was on a bed that they called the deathbed. He went into a swoon and Billy Graham came to see him. And Bev Shea was there and Cliff Barrels was there and Adrian Rogers was there. And Bev Shea began to sing. And they thought he was dying and they called the doctor. And then Billy Graham went over and put his arms around Dr. Lee. He said, I want to just be hugging this dear man of God as he goes to, through the gates to glory. And when his daughter came back in the room, Dr. Lee had his, had his eyes open. He was hugging Billy Graham. And then he said to his daughter, don't you see it? She said, what is it, Daddy? What is it? Well, don't you see? Look at that light. She didn't see it. Dr. Lee said, look, there he is. There he is. That's Jesus. And look, look behind him, there's Mama. His wife had died a few years before. And then he said, Oh, Hildreth, I've preached about it all these years, but I never did it justice. That's heaven. And then he went to be with the Lord. I have not seen, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The first thing we see is Jesus on his throne. Now we're going to read from Revelation chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. After this I looked, and behold a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice that I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now this is the rapture of the church. The end of the church age is the end of chapter 3. Beginning in chapter 4, we have a new vision. And John said, I, I, I saw a door opened in heaven. And a voice said, come up here. And folks, when Jesus comes the second time, that's what's going to happen. We'll see a door open in heaven. And we'll hear the voice of Jesus, come, come. And those who know him will go to be with him. Those who have died with their faith in Christ will go first. Then we which are alive and remain and are, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we ever be with the Lord. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, 14, and 15, and 16. And so the voice said, come up here. And John in vision was caught up over to heaven. In verse 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit... Now notice that's a capital S. I was in the Holy Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that was 
set was to look upon like a jasper and sardis stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. Have you ever thought of the throne of God? What it's like? My friend, that's the first thing we'll see when we get home. And when the Lord Jesus comes the second time, that's the first thing we'll see. And everybody that's gotten saved, that's what we want to see. We want to shake hands with mother again. We want to see our father. We want to see our children. We want to see our loved ones. I'm anxious to meet Isaiah and Jeremiah and Mark and Paul and all the others. But I want to tell you the one I want to see above everything else is Jesus. Jesus. Robert sang about him this morning. Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. Jesus. He's the one we love. He's the one who has rescued us. He's the one who has forgiven us. He's the one who is altogether lovely. He's the one that we need to magnify. He's the only one that can save us from our sins and save us from hell and take us over to heaven. And when we go there, that's the first one we want to see. And symbolically, Dr. Lee, scriptural clear to the end, said, look, Hildreth, look, do you see him? She said, who is it, Daddy? Oh, it's Jesus. And that's the first one we'll see. And we'll see him on his throne. The last time the earth ever saw Jesus, he was on a cross. He was lifted up. And from the throne of his cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that whosoever would believe upon the Son, Jesus, would not perish but have everlasting life. And then he died. Those who were his own saw him a few times after the resurrection. But a very limited group. The last time the world saw him, he was on a cross. But I want to tell you, when we see him again, he will be on a throne. And if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus... And he's still on a cross to you. Just remember, he wants to be enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords in your heart. The Bible has much to say about the throne of God. Over in Psalm, the 11th chapter, verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes, behold, his eyelids test the children of men. And over in Daniel, Chapter 7, verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, and his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment set was set, and the books were opened. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. If you have your Bibles, open your Bible while you hold it at Revelation chapter 4. Open to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, listen to what God says here. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. 
And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And flip over to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Now the Bible speaks in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, of a throne of grace. And that's where Jesus is today. He is at the throne of grace. And if you'll look in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, you'll notice this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right now, the Lord Jesus, having ascended to the Father, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and that throne that he occupies is the throne of grace. And that's the reason we need to come to him in prayer and come through his name. No one can get his prayers answered except through the throne of grace, the throne of mercy, the throne of Jesus. And he is occupying that throne, and he will until he comes the second time. But listen, when he comes the second time, he'll no longer be occupying the throne of grace, no longer the throne of mercy. He'll be on the throne of judgment. And if we go on in our sins, and we reject him and say no to the glorious Son of God, until he comes the second time, it'll not be the throne of grace that we come to. It'll not be the throne of mercy. We'll come before the throne of judgment, and every sin will receive a just recompense of reward. Today, he is at the throne of mercy. Today, he is at the throne of grace. And if you'll hurry and come quickly and say, Lord, I need you, I want you, I invite you into my heart, I repent of my sins, I turn to Christ, he'll have mercy, he'll forgive. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's now. That's the age of grace. That's while he's the throne of mercy. But there's coming an hour. There's coming a day. There's coming a moment. And it could be tonight before this night is over. That Jesus will leave the throne of grace and the throne of mercy and will come to receive those who are his own and will go back to be with him forever and forever. And those who are left here to go through the awful tribulation period will no longer be under the mercy of God. You'll be under the judgment of God. Now John said, when I saw heaven open and I heard the voice said, come up here, the window door was open in heaven and I was in the spirit in the Holy Spirit and I was translated into heaven now we're going to see something that no man ever saw before our dear Mrs. Claycomb had a vision of heaven some time ago she said this morning in Sunday school I've only been in the hospital two times in my life one time an angel sat on the foot of my bed and the other time I had a vision of heaven I believe that I believe in angels and I believe what you said now folks we've never seen heaven but you're going to see a little bit of it tonight just a little and we'll see what we see over in the throne room of the Father. Verse 3, And he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardis stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. 
Now I want you to notice several things about this. At least eight. Number one, a door was opened. We can know nothing of future events but what God is pleased to discover to us. They are within the veil till God opens the door. Secondly, to prepare John for the vision, a trumpet was sounded. He was called up into heaven to have a sight there of the things which were to be hereafter. Thirdly, to prepare for this vision, the apostle was in the Spirit, that is, in the Holy Spirit. He was in a rapture. His spirit was possessed with the spirit of prophecy. He was possessed with the Holy Spirit and holy under the divine influence. Next, he saw a throne set in heaven, the seat of honor and authority and judgment. All earthly thrones are under the jurisdiction of this throne that is set in heaven. He saw a glorious one upon the throne. There was one in it who filled it, and that was God. His countenance was like a jasper and a sardine stone. He is not described by any human features so as to be represented by an image, but only by his transcendent brightness. Can you visualize that? We don't have any image of Jesus in heaven. That's the reason probably there are not very many pictures of, of Christ sitting on the throne. We have him on the throne of mercy, on the throne of grace. We can visualize that now. But there is no, there are no aphorisms. There, there, is no, uh, there are no characteristics given of that vision John had of Jesus on the throne that a man could draw. But the picture there is one of brilliance, bright glory, the Shekinah power of God, the Shekinah glory of God. Now he saw a rainbow round about the throne, like unto an emerald. Emerald is beautiful green. The rainbow was the seal and token of the covenant of province that God made with Noah. This rainbow looked like an emerald. The most prevailing color was a pleasant green to show the reviving and refreshing nature of the new covenant. Can you imagine the beautiful rainbow? How many have ever seen a rainbow? Can you describe a rainbow? You can say, well, it was an ark. It had been raining, and the sun came out, and I saw an ark, maybe up there, half ark. Maybe sometimes we see an ark all the way around, and we see those beautiful crimson colors, the, the prism there of, of red and pink and blue and green and, and uh, scarlet and all those wonderful colors. But as I describe that to you tonight, I don't really have the vocabulary to describe. If you've never seen a rainbow, you wouldn't understand what I'm saying, but you've seen it. And so when I mentioned the word, you visualize that rainbow you've seen. Now you visualize with deeper dimension the most beautiful rainbow you've ever seen. And the Bible says that over the throne of glory, over the throne of God, when John got over there in that vision to heaven, he saw a rainbow around the throne. Symbolizing all the wonderful colors, white for purity, purple for royalty, and that wonderful color of scarlet for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. There was a rainbow around the throne symbolizing the new covenant. You see, there was a rainbow in Genesis. When the flood was over, the Bible said God set his bowl in the heavens. And he said, Noah, never again will the earth be destroyed by water. That's a thing of the past. Never again. I make a covenant. I promise you that. Now, it didn't mean there wouldn't be any floods 
Any of you who lived through the 1937 flood in Louisville or in the, any of those places where the Ohio River was know that you went through a tragedy. There have been other floods similar to that in other places. He didn't say there would never be another flood, but he said the earth will never be destroyed again by water. That was a covenant. You don't have to worry. You go down to Miami, you go out to San Francisco, you go over to the beach in South Carolina or North Carolina, you go up to Boston, and you don't have to go to sleep at night worried to death that that's, that ocean's gonna come up and invade the earth and will overflow the earth and that all of you'll be drowned. God said that's not gonna happen again. Now there may be typhoons, there may be tidal waves, there may be uh, storms and hurricanes, but never again will the earth be overrun by water. God promised that. You can count on it. It's not going to ever happen again. But, he said the next conflagration will be a conflagration of fire. Fire. But when we get to heaven, and John was transported into the very presence of God, he said, I saw a rainbow around the throne. What was that rainbow about? It was a symbol of a new covenant, the covenant that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin and does the keeping. He keeps you saved. The people that were saved this morning, you don't have to worry and say, well, I better hold on to Jesus. He might let me go and I might be lost after I got saved. Never. Never in a thousand worlds will you ever be lost after you're saved. You see, that rainbow around the throne is a covenant symbol. It says once and for all, what Christ did at the cross was enough for you. And the blood in that rainbow, the red and crimson in that rainbow is a symbol that those who are under the rainbow of the blood of Jesus will never go to hell. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be with Jesus forever and forever. There's a rainbow around the throne. And that rainbow is symbolic of the new covenant that Christ made. The Noahic covenant was given right after the flood. This is the symbol of the new covenant over the throne of glory. And it isn't the throne of grace. It's the throne of judgment. Now, beloved, I don't want to issue some kind of a false security tonight. If all you ever did was join a church, if all you ever did was get baptized, if you never got changed on the inside, if you've never been born again, then you're not saved. And you cannot rest on that profession of faith you made as if that gave you a promise of heaven. The only way you have the promise of heaven is to be sure that Jesus Christ was received into your heart and he began to change you. You see, when Christ comes in, he changes your want to. He changes your mind, your thoughts, your ambitions, your motivations. He changes you from the inside. That doesn't mean you never sin anymore. As long as we dwell in this tabernacle of clay, there's going to be sin. But it does mean sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. The name of the sinner saved by grace. And that rainbow over the throne remind you that when you get home you'll be able to brag on Jesus and say Jesus you did it all the only reason I'm in heaven is because of the blood that Jesus shed to cover my sins and he's the one that kept me saved all these years and he's the one that's brought me safe home now John saw all that in this rainbow over the throne I could go on 
But I'm going to close with that. Just to remind you, if you are under the blood, if the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has been applied to your heart, you're saved. You're God's child. And you'll never be lost after you're saved. But don't enjoy false security. If you were not genuinely born again, if all you had is a church membership, if the only thing you have, your name is written on the roll book of a church, do some business with God tonight. Go directly to the throne of grace, the throne of mercy. There's an open heaven tonight. And say, Lord, I know you died for me. And the best way I know how, I come in trembling conviction and ask you to cleanse me and forgive me and save me. Now to some here tonight, this message won't mean much. But if the Holy Spirit is applying it to your heart, let him make a change inside. Now friend, it is no comfort to us to live a careless life, to live an indifferent life, and to have cakes of callous and ill will and, uh, and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking inside of us, even though we're saved. And say, well, I'm saved forever. I can still be mad and I can still get upset and I can still be mean to people and I can still hold these grudges and so on. And that's no comfort to you. Because when you get before the throne where the rainbow is, there's going to be a meeting out of questions. This is the judgment seat of Christ. And everyone will be asked, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you swell up with pride? Were you filled with indifference? Did you allow the storms of anger and fear and all the forces of earth that have tried to attack you to let you to lay your honor in the dust and to live a low life? Or have you been an overcomer? Have you been the kind of Christian that God wants you to be? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So hasten to Calvary again. Hasten to the throne of mercy while it's still there. And folks, the throne of mercy is open tonight. The throne of grace is open tonight. Jesus is not yet sitting on that eternal throne of glory and of judgment. He's on the throne of mercy tonight. He's on the throne of grace. And if you just go and say, Lord, I need you. He's, he's willing, more than willing to reach out and rescue you and bring you home to him. A picture of that. Simon Peter got out of the boat. He said, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. And by faith, Peter got out and began to walk on the water. He did something that nobody had ever done before. As long as his eyes were on Jesus. Now, folks, if you look to Jesus tonight, you can come to him. With your sins, with your sorrows, with your hurt, with your messed up life with your mistakes, with your re repentance, with your regret, with, with all the things that you'd like to say, Lord, please make me over, let me be different. Jesus will say, yes, I'll help you. I'll help you. And if you begin to sink like Peter did, and he said, Lord, I, I'm sinking, save me. The Lord just reached out in mercy because he's at the throne of mercy. And he, he helped Peter. He'll do the same thing for you right now. But you have to come to it. Over and over and over again, the Bible says, come, 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 come. 
Nobody ever gets saved without coming to Christ. Nobody ever gets headed for heaven without coming to Christ. And if you've already come to Him, are you walking with Him? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the throne that is set over in heaven. That You gave John a vision of that rainbow over the throne. We pray that somebody here tonight who has never been saved will come to Christ. God forbid that someone should go out of this church and go to hell. Oh God, disturb hearts. And may somebody be willing to come and say, Lord, save me. Come into my heart, be my personal Savior and Lord. And may Christians be warmed to Thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What's our hymn number? 334. Number 334. Would you find that song? And then look at me just a moment. 334. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. I come to thee. The invitation is just simply this. Number one, if you've never come to Jesus, I want to urge you to come to him tonight. Just come and receive him. Invite him into your heart. If you don't know sure how to do that, just come and we'll pray together. If you've already come to him, are you walking with him? Are you serving him? Are you living for him? If you are, praise him, thank him. If you're not, determine that tonight you're going to begin to walk with Jesus. There's some here tonight who are planning to be baptized. I'd like to ask you to come as this invitation is given. There's some who need to, be, to move your membership to this church. It'd be a wonderful thing if you'd just come tonight and say, I want to be part of this fellowship and stand here with the word of God. While we begin to sing, who will step out for the king? Will you come right now? <laughs>